What are you reading now? And what have you read in the past? How do the things you've read in the past help you better understand what you're reading today? Or in the future for that matter? And what if it wasn't just what you read, but what you listened to or watched? And hey, what if this could be shared with lots of folks? Welcome to That Reminds Me. This is episode 1J, a conversation between Ashish Kulkarni, Amba Salilkar and Adish Khanna, recorded on the 10th of April 2020. Ashish, Amba and Adish discuss Samin Nosrat's cookbook, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, and the accompanying Netflix series with a focus on fat and acid. This conversation went beyond the original cookbook and looked at a number of other cookbooks as well as Ashish and Amba's experiences in their own kitchens. Hi, Adish. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Ashish. Look at us. We're all grown up. It's no longer just the two of us on this podcast. That's right. We have a guest in today. All right. And my first question to you is just going to be asking you to introduce our guest today. Yeah, our guest today is Amba. For the benefit of everyone else, uh, Amba is a lawyer by day, a food writing binger by night, a cook most of the time and is going to be talking to us uh, today about something which she hasn't read or watched, but about something she has a lot of information on and a lot of experience with, and which are two things which both of us are big fans of as well. Absolutely. So, uh, I first of all, I didn't realize that I was your first guest. I'm so honored. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's really, really, it's really fun to do this. I mean, um, it's really cool to talk about a show that I haven't seen and a book that I haven't read. I I feel like a guy on Twitter right now. (laughs) So, yeah, so, so, okay. In the show notes, we'll be sure to put up links uh, on how to talk about books that you haven't read. <laughs> That's the one thing that I think nobody needs educating about. The converse, on the other hand, is a bigger problem. Right, let's get started, though. All right. Adist, we were supposed to be speaking about uh, blog posts that you had put up, and I delved into ancient posts on your blog and landed upon salt, fat, acid, heat. I haven't read the book yet, uh, but I love watching the television series. And as you mentioned, both you and I can't get enough of either fat or acid. And so those are the two things that we're going to be speaking about today. Yes, uh, we are going to be speaking about fat or as Oblix calls it, big bone and acid. (laughs) Yep, yep. All right. So uh, before we begin, uh, Adish, could you speak a little bit about why you chose to write about this series and the book and provide some background information about both to the listeners? The book is a food textbook slash cookbook. It's probably the first cookbook I've ever read cover to cover. I'm not very familiar with cookbooks, but I thought given what I do know about cookbooks that I haven't read, this was kind of unique in the sense that it spends a lot of time talking about four fundamentals of cooking and preparing food rather than heading straight into the recipes. It's a book by a lady called Samin Nusrat. She's in her introduction claimed that all of cooking comes down to balancing four inputs, which are salt, fat, 
acid and heat and she has a chapter on each of these four elements goes into great detail on the different kinds of salts fats acids and heats how to balance them how to control them and then separately goes into recipes about a year or two after the, the cookbook came out a netflix series on the cookbook was made in which salt fat acid and heat each get an episode to themselves this series ended up being a little more of a travel show than a straightforward cooking instruction show not that there's anything wrong with that and it was a show that was huge fun to watch so when i did watch it early last year i wrote about it okay all right uh and we're going to be speaking about not all four of the things that in her uh, book we're going to be restricting ourselves, restricting ourselves sorry uh, only to two one being fat and the other being uh, acid and That's this right. uh, as this i understand is uh, partly because of your love and mine for both of these ingredients but uh, amba adish tells me that you are uh, an equally big fan of both of these things as well yeah well he said that he wanted to talk about fat and then he gave me the option of the other three and he said do you want to do acid and i said yes i'm always down to do acid so that's the way we are <laughs> all right so let's begin with uh, the very first uh, post that you put up about the series uh, adish which is about fat and the first thing that i wanted to uh, speak about is something that confused me as well the name of the book and the name of the television series is salt fat acid heat but part 1 ends up being about fat was she prioritizing or picking first amongst the equals over here i'm not sure what she was doing but the way the series ran it definitely did show that fat was first among equals kind of be hard pressed to disagree sure so what is it about fat that you like quite so much adish uh, maybe we could begin there and then amba could chip in as well this is difficult to do without sounding like a bad zomato review <laughs> but fat is as samin nusrat explains and as we know from our own experience is what carries flavor through food yep it's what makes food filling and if you're trying to build a meal you find it both filling and emotionally satisfying if there's enough fat in it what we forget is that fat comes in different forms and both the cookbook as also this episode of the series does a round of all the different kinds of fat which uh, in a way which the episodes on salt and acid don't do quite as well yep uh, it's an unfair question to ask uh, you to jump off uh, amba given that you haven't seen the show but adish mentioned how fat adds a whole host of uh, things to food and spoke about in part textures in your experience having read whatever cookbooks you have could you speak a little bit about your experience of aid dealing with fat and learning more about it if you look at you know a lot of the most popular cookbooks or the most popular chefs everyone has really been focusing on this entire thing about how we need you you need to use butter you need to use lard in some cases like you really need to goose fat is something which people have spoken about before uh, you know compared to the other ingredients like salt heat or acid there's also this sort of evil attribute to fat that it's always that it's not good for you like yeah people do say that you shouldn't have too much of spice or salt but you know there's not been that much of a militant backlash against these ingredients as fat has so consequently i think that now that fat is kind of back in fashion there's been a lot of research around cholesterol and this earlier notion that if you eat fat that's what clogs up your arteries is not 
really valid anymore in terms of science. People are now sort of going back to what that really means. I remember when when I was growing up, dalda, okay, which is hydrogenated vegetable oil, was right. being sold as vegetable ghee. And it was like the healthier option as opposed to using ghee. Ghee was like something that you just chopped things off on. It was really extravagant to use ghee. But so, but, but dalda was something which was okay. And I, I, I'm not sure everybody remembers this whole thing about Safola and heart light oil and rice bran and all these weird terms people would come up with. So it sounded like you could just chug a liter of oil, it'd be good for your heart. And and like, so I come from a community that has been cooking in coconut oil like forever. Okay, that's our, that's our dominant fact. And it was demonized. Okay, like you couldn't use coconut oil anymore. Uh, you had to use all of these bland oils and uh, you know it, it it loses a lot like I mean when you make a fish curry using coconut oil when you make a fish curry using these sapola light oils there's a huge difference okay in the taste and, and just in uh, how good you feel after that meal and like if you're eating it it just adds nothing these supposedly heart friendly oils and now we also know that these oils, it's basically like some random marketing bullshit, right? Like there is no such thing as vitamin D in your oil and things like that. But, and now and now we're kind of going back to, okay, we, can, we should be using butter. We should be using real fat. And thankfully, like this notion of using olive oil, like people were, were buying anything in the name of olive oil as it being like the healthier option, right? But now even within olive oil, we know that you shouldn't use it for deep frying, which is what people were doing in between. The time at which this series or this book is published is really crucial because people are now sort of either becoming more comfortable with using fat or they're learning how to cook and they're like, oh, you know, we, we should be using real fats when we're cooking. So I, I think that that's something which really strikes me. But in my experience, and I've been cooking meals for myself for the last 15, 18 years, it makes a huge difference. I mean, you, you could be making the same sabzi every day, but if you make it with sesame oil on one day and you make it with groundnut oil on one day and you make it with ghee on the third day, it really tastes different. I mean, it's, um, there are little subtleties that come in. You feel like you're in a different place. Like when I, when I eat a sabzi prepared with groundnut oil, I feel like I'm in Bombay because that's something that was used a lot there. If I'm using coconut oil, I feel like I'm, at home, if I use sesame oil, I, I feel like this is a very Madras thing to do because that's what my partner's family has used as their dominant fat. So I, I think that there's a lot of, there's just so much that it brings to a dish when you're using it, even if you're not using all that much. So Ashish, uh, I don't know if that was, yeah, it has nothing to do with, <laughs> with the series, but, uh, but yeah, my own rambling. Okay. If if anything, I think you seem to love fat even more than Adish and I do, which is saying something. <laughs> All right, uh, Adish, let's begin with the very first point that you spoke about uh, in your blog post about uh, fat, which was monkey's description. I'm sure you'll provide context to who the monkey is in this case. But monkey's description of Italian local pride. You mentioned wine, but Italians seem to be pretty big on uh, olive oil itself as well. Monkey is the nickname of a friend of mine who has... Mm -hmm mentioned that when he was traveling in Tuscany and would go to a restaurant for dinner, the wine menu would come separate from the food menu, would begin with two pages of wines from the local village, 
and the first page of these would not just be the local village but the local village and vineyards owned by the owner's family there would then be a page of tuscan regional wines then followed by a page of other italian wines and finally a page which grudgingly accepted that yes there are wines from the rest of the world yeah and but, also uh, the episode makes clear that the fascination that the italians have for oil or olive oil particular to region seems to be equally how shall i put it uh, they seem to be equally passionate about fats as well there are two fascinations here which are that they are very obsessed with olive oil but they are also very obsessed with how local it can get and if mm-hmm. you have ever had the opportunity to visit a supermarket inside italy you would see a sort of descending hierarchy of snobbery of oils in the supermarket shelves too where you start off with local olive oils you then move on to italian olive oils you then move on to made in the european union olive oils and finally there is olive oils which are labeled with sort of disgust not from the not from europe at all all right the cultural obsession with local is one aspect and the other aspect w- which you see in italy is this sort of horror of palm oil we should mention that one of italy's big exports is nutella but okay. there is immense snobbery around nutella when you travel around italy even though it's so popular and you see many competitor brands from nutella which advertise themselves as not containing palm oil and were you able to pick up any difference in taste yourself were you able to sample non palm oil and palm oil nutella nutella has so much sugar that if the non palm oil competitor nutella is putting as much sugar in either case they're going to drown out the taste of the base oil or the base fat okay actually uh, amba one of the things that reading this uh, series sorry uh, uh, viewing the series reminded me of was the fact that Uh, she's chosen to not include sugar as one of the focal ingredients hopefully this won't turn into a discussion about the health aspects of sugar which can turn into a episode in its own right but is sugar traditionally in global from a global perspective is it not a crucial ingredient in practically every sort of cooking well in my you know the, the cuisine that that i grew up with which is goan cuisine and uh, which is typical of parisian families in the region there's always a bit of sugar in things a lot of jaggery it's always a balancer so well not not in a fish curry and stuff like that but if you're making a vegetable it, there's always it's always something which you just put a little bit of but there are other cuisines like thai cuisine for example which talks about a balance of much more and it talks about a balance of the sourness the saltiness the umami the sugar and the heat so i don't think that this is something which is global and also i think some people sometimes you get sweetness you know doesn't necessarily have to come from sugar so a good example is a caramelized onion which is which is sugar i mean that's why it caramelizes but it's something which brings in a bit of sweet so i think the thing is it's not as fetishized as the others um because you know okay. like people you know sugar is it's still sugar it's it's you know or jaggery and i know that in india we talk about like jaggery from kolhapur and and from from some places are, are better than others but if you look at the kind of debates around a, a white wine vinegar red wine vinegar 
um, as opposed to in heat, you know, maybe it doesn't. Maybe maybe the title just sounded catchier, you know, salt. What was it again? Like, <laughs> it's like sugar was just like throwing it all. So she's like, just screw it. And so maybe that's another thing. But I, I think that like the, the amount of debate which happens on the other, including salt, you know, like I think that there's a lot more debate as to what salt people are using as opposed to sugar in, in every single right. food, right? Yes, I think that's important. Yeah, you mentioned Thai food. So if you think about, say, for example, David Thompson writing a book talking about base ingredients, I'm sure it would include maybe not sugar per se, but something sweet in the title as well. Yeah, like palm sugar. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have this, this beautiful book on street food in Thailand written by uh, David Thompson. And, yes. you know, it's every single ingredient, every single recipe Um talks about the kind of sweetness which is brought in. And you have the sweetness of coconut milk or coconut cream itself. And you have a little bit yeah. of the palm, palm, palm sugar to round it off. So, yeah. Abba, do you think there's any truth to the idea that sugar became a widespread ingredient only in the last 100 or 200 years once plantation agriculture really took off? Sugar, perhaps. But, I mean, like, you know, it, it's not like people didn't have sweetening in ingredients besides that, right? So I don't know how long jaggery has been in use, but uh, much, much, uh, you know, earlier than that, or the other forms of, so there's, there's, there's date, so looking at uh, honey cultures, which have been using this traditionally. So there's always been some sort of addition of sweetness. I guess the question has always been what that is. So yeah, like you're saying, it's probably not been sugar, the entire time, we could probably trace salt and acid and fat for sure from much earlier. But I'm still thinking that from from what I read, that there's always been something which adds a little sweetness to things. But what that is has definitely evolved over time. Yep, absolutely. Ambaba, uh, as you might have figured out already, we deal more with digressions than we do for the original topic at hand. But that's part of the joy of uh, speaking about whatever it is that we are talking about on these episodes. Yes, I'm, I'm all about digression. Like, I literally can never stay on topic. So that's <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm dying to circle back to sugar topic. And I'm sure both Lou and uh, Adish will also have opinions about this. But I'll just start speaking about one point that Adish had raised in his uh, blog post, which was about the greatest fat in the world. And Shivani, Adish, for sure, that Samin was going to speak about butter. But she ended up speaking about Parmesan instead. Adish, could you speak about A, uh, Shivani's choice of the greatest fat in the world? And second, about red cow parmesan. Did you have a chance to try it out? I'm not sure if I, if the parmesan I've had in my life has been from red cows. No, <laughs> no, no one's ever mentioned it. But let's talk about why both Shivani and I do think that butter is a good contender for greatest fat in the world. Yeah. It's one of the few fats that works well, both hot and cold. And it's also a fat that works both as a topping as also as a cooking medium. Hmm. And if you're talking about other fats that have this all-rounder approach in food, I think the only thing which comes close is something we've already talked about, coconut oil. Uh, so does Amba, butter include ghee? 
No, I just have a question. Does butter include ghee or is ghee like a separate thing? I think ghee is a separate thing. Although, Adish, feel free to clarify. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I was hoping somebody would pick up on that. When I say that butter works both as a topping and as a cooking medium, I do consider ghee as a part of that. Okay. Okay. Uh, I would have thought cold ghee actually doesn't, well, when I say cold, I mean as cold as, say, for example, butter taken from the fridge. Cold ghee wouldn't work well, right? Or am I mistaken? Why are you but, keeping ghee in the fridge, though? <laughs> no, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. So, butter, in the, butter taken out from the fridge and used to make croissants would be much better. And therefore, I would think ghee is not as versatile as butter. No, but if we look at butter as a spectrum from butter in the fridge up to ghee, then it's ah, an all-rounder. Okay. Okay, right. I'm a bit of a fanatic when it comes to ghee. So to me, ghee occupies an exalted position that no other fat can touch. But that's just me. I actually agree. I'm really team ghee. I didn't realize that you could actually make ghee at home really easily. Like when I was growing up, it was a whole process. My mom would be like, she'd collect the, the cream off the milk and store that and then churn butter from that and that butter would be melted to make ghee but I did not realize that you could do that quite easily with a block of unsalted butter which is made by the Tamil Nadu dairy corporation called Avin comes they have this 500 gram bar of unsalted butter which you can turn to ghee in like 10 minutes and it's absolutely amazing and so I I since then that, that's been a life changer for me so you know what really disturbs me about ghee is that It is so random that there are, you know, the stuff that's being sold in like tins and stuff, the white ghee is so different than the ghee you make at home, which is this golden, nice, nutty flavored sort of thing. And it's like, but why does that happen? You know, (laughs) it's like, why is this being sold as ghee? It's like, it's incredible, like how intolerant I am towards commercially available ghee it riles me up you know like it's, it's like I go home and my mom has like a tin of ghee and I'm like no <laughs> no take this away from me <laughs> but I, I really love ghee like I didn't realize that you could just that it has so much of use like every time somebody talks about oh browned butter as like this is brown butter with prawns and whatever I just feel like hey <laughs> you know you could just make that with ghee what I'm, I'm still trying to understand is why uh, commercially manufactured ghee is not as good as the ghee you make at home and why nobody has tried to crack that. Like Amul has recently come out with something called a stronger aroma ghee, which is okay. It's not as bad as what they usually have, but like it's, it's still, it's not there. I am team ghee. I, I didn't, Parmesan as fat, I don't know. I, I guess I need to catch up with this TV series to see. I mean, I love Parmesan, but uh, coconut oil—it's—it's it's nice. Like it's—it's it's really good. But you know, I—I don't—I I don't think it's as versatile in terms of there are certain things in which I don't want to taste coconut oil. So while I agree that the taste of coconut oil can get overwhelming, why I make a very strong case for coconut oil as a super fat is that it does things across temperatures that you do not get from any other fat. And when we see those sort of uh, cold on the outside, melted on the inside ice creams, those require uh, coconut oil. You use it to make a fish curry and you use it as a topping. 
and and if you're moving away from food you can use it as a massage oil too so <laughs> i i feel coconut oil wins on versatility where other things don't also in my experience and uh, feel free to chip in over here both of you but i think uh, cakes turn out better when you use coconut oil really i i should give that i should give that a try i i think the other thing is that i use so this is like a, a weird flex thing but i i get bottles of coconut oil from goa you know which is like sort of made from the husks of coconuts you know like which is this, they're just sort of sent to the the the, the mill and uh, my mom gets bottles of coconut oil uh, because they're from the coconut oil the process at home you know they're not the, they're, they're a little stronger flavored than coconut oil that you get in a store and i love it for that because it really brings a lot when you fry frying fish in it or if you're 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 making like a, a veg or you know you're using some coconut oil. oh my god it's amazing but yeah i wouldn't use it in 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 baking because it's too strong it's too strong but i i if i were to try that i think that i would definitely buy a coconut oil from um uh like i, I remember getting one when i was briefly on a bulletproof coffee phase yes yes i'm sure everyone's been there uh no need to judge uh, so uh i tried it i tried that with the farm coconut oil. oh my god it was awful but you know someone talked about this one brand that was virgin coconut oil whatever the hell that means <laughs> that was bulletproof coffee was, in my life and that i think is one too many that was that was tolerable that was tolerable but uh yeah <laughs> Yeah. Also, uh, Amba, I wanted to speak about this uh, before I forget. Uh, one of the great joys of making ghee at home, and Adish, this is a great callback to the television series as well. But when you make ghee at home, the base—I'm blanking on the word on for this in Marathi right yes, now. Yes, the, the base, caramelized bits, the caramelized bits at the end of it, right? Is just heaven. Oh. And uh, uh, Amba, you've not seen the television series, but uh, Samin speaks about uh, something called. Tadig, I think, is the name, which is the uh, crispy, almost caramelized rice that you get at the bottom of the layer, and mm. that turns out to be equally tasty. It's amazing, and I, in fact, I just made ghee like a couple of days ago, and I just, uh, what I did is I just rolled, I just um, used the same pan uh, to knead uh, atta dough into because I really like the chapatis with that mixed in. I really yep. love that. <laughs> it's like. It's 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 heaven. <laughs> so it yeah it, it is it is the best um uh, uh the best part of it. If you're making ghee at home, you know what also is really good is if towards the end of the process, if you add if you have access to a couple of betel nut leaves or drumstick leaves, it really it really adds something to it. I, I someone told me to do it. It does add something. I can't put my finger on what it is. It's also the color of it, mm-hmm. but it's really good. It's really good. Yeah, and. I mean, my grandmother used to uh, give out a little helping of that uh, thing at the bottom with a little sugar sprinkled on top, and it still is probably one of my top three things to eat ever. Amazing, amazing, amazing. <laughs> All right, I, I, uh, I'm enjoying how this uh, episode yes, is. Yes, I'm enjoying how this episode is getting a greater and greater West Coast vibe with every passing minute. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. But West Coast is best coast. <laughs> okay, uh, Adish, one other thing that I wanted to ask you about uh, on the episode on uh, fat is 
I need more details if you don't mind sharing them about the olive oil story that ended up being used far too long and how that cuts a little too close in your own experience. The story in the episode is about a friend who was gifted a bottle of very premium olive oil as a wedding present. This friend, I forget if uh, it was a gentleman or a lady, but uh, she was so, assuming that it's a woman, she was so touched by this very expensive and premium olive oil that she kept it for years for a special occasion. And when she finally opened it, she found out it had gone rancid. So, so A, that's a warning to everyone that olive oil does go rancid and you should use it quickly. And in a way, it's a larger fable about not hanging on to fancy stuff for too long and losing it all in the process. Yeah, I have a horror story that goes in the opposite direction. Uh, I once had a jar of bacon fat that was thrown out by my wife. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I think that this is no matter this, how this happens, <laughs> No, but this happens to me a lot. <laughs> like I get I get a really expensive ingredient from when I travel and then I use it very sparingly because I'm really I am like, Oh my god, like I don't want this to get over and uh, then it's just one fine day it's just covered in mold or something. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's really one of those dilemmas, you know, when you have it, you're like, okay, like, you know, don't, don't I want to wait for friends to come over? Don't I want to wait for whatever? And yeah, I think, well, life is short, so use that olive oil. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we, we are digressing again, but just to say this is a problem not just with olive oil, but also with pesto, also with cheese, and in a way, also with coffee, because if you're getting grounds and you store them too long, they do lose flavor. Oh, absolutely. And the only way to compensate for that is over-roasting it. And I'm looking at you, Starbucks. <laughs> over-roasting it is this amazing tactic where you kill all the flavor in the beginning so that it, you don't lose any uh, in the future. <laughs> True. I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I said modern problems require modern solutions. It's like that meme. <laughs> you know? True, true. All right, I'm going to skip over to the second uh, blog post or the second topic and we'll keep switching uh, back and forth. But I want to start speaking about acid. And I want to begin on a bit of a weird tangent, but uh, Amba, in my opinion, one of the best books that you can read about Chinese cooking is a book called Every Grain of Rice by Fushia Dunlop. Okay. Whether that book or anything else, when it comes to Chinese cooking, what element would you say add acidity? Maybe we could begin from there and then go into what the episode speaks about. I've seen rice vinegar. I've mm-hmm. seen the Chinese cooking wine. I don't know how to pronounce it. The Shaoqing. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I'm not. Uh, like I, I think this is this is as far as it's gone for me. Yeah, but uh, oh, these are the two ingredients that I end up picking up the most. So I was actually kind of disappointed with this 
episode uh, adish because i was sure that more uh, asian ingredients that were acidic in nature would be spoken about but hardly any was touched upon and that's that explains my question to amba but could you speak about uh, why maybe asian ingredients were not focused upon quite as much in this episode i feel it's possibly just the format the show went with wherein mm-hmm. they decided to make each ingredient also the focus of a particular region they had gone to japan for the episode on salt, salt they had yeah. gone to italy for the episode on fat, fat and they decided to go to mexico for the episode on acid yeah and again while it did mean that we missed out on acids from the rest of the world the dive into the mexican ingredients were made it worthwhile for me oh absolutely i got to learn uh, a lot about mexican food but in fact that to me was i mean it's not like i'm complaining i think i love the show but given the similarities between mexican and indian cooking it I, mean, i kept wishing that maybe there was a follow up episode or we could delve into that separately but acid is such an integral part of at least indian cooking but i would argue a lot of asian cooking as well that i would really like to spend some time talking about acid and the use of acid in asian cooking yeah sure speaking about acid especially in uh, indian cooking one of my favorite ingredients when it comes to the use of acid is uh, amsul i don't know how well that translates into mm-hmm. the english language but uh, amba if you are from goa then i'm sure you know about amsul amsul is sola right Yeah. It's the petals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So whether it is a variant of this that is used in kurgi cooking, whether it is throughout uh, the coast of the Konkan, all the way up and down uh, the length of the coast, acid is just, you can't imagine Indian food without some sort of acidity. No, for sure, for sure. I, I think that, um, you know, the uh, kudampuli, I think, what's what, what used in, yes. in, 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 in cool cuisine. And, um, yeah, and uh, there is uh, the one in Kerala is slightly different. It's, kind of, um, I, it's, not, it's not coming to me right now, but I have a, I have, I have a packet in, 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 my, in, my, in my pantry. Um, but I think that they, they're so different, you know, that's the thing that it's not, it's not like each other um yeah. and what's really interesting in in the cuisine in maharashtra and goa is that you might use two of them you might use uh you might use sala but you will use or amsul but you will use a little bit of tamarind as well when you're grinding the coconut it's different you know it's not like each sour ingredient is is created equally and i think that that's what i find really fascinating or you will have tamarind um and you will have like a little bit of lemon on top you know which is which is what i i think and, and it's it's really it's really fascinating what how like these they they play off each other you often end up like especially in a in a lockdown such as this you will have only one of these with you uh unless you're a compulsive hoarder like me <laughs> you know <laughs> but uh, i think that if if when you have everything and everything comes together it's so uh it's so rich it's like it's when you're when you're eating something without the souring uh agent that it usually uses like it hits you somewhere you know like maybe it's more nostalgia than actual flavor being particular about flavor but it's just it's something it's but you know what's really interesting about souring agents 
is mm-hmm. uh, in, in in Indian cuisine is this a communal division on the use of vinegar. Okay, so vinegar okay. is vinegar is the souring agent of choice in Catholic cuisine in in Goa. Uh, the East Indians in in Maharashtra use it. Uh, the Anglo-Indian cuisine uses it. Uh, you will find like other, but you know, it's 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 almost entirely linked to communities who are are Christian or or, or non-Hindu. This is vinegar, which is been developed, you know, by this community. So, like in Bombay, you can buy the vinegar that's used in East India cuisine. You know, as a if you go to one of the shops, they have that vinegar that they've been using for a really long time. Uh, and it's really fascinating how, like, it's it's not like you're it's not like someone's using balsamic or white wine, right? It's this vinegar that they've developed. But it's so fascinating, and it's so uh, like it's. It's also really weird about how that that has not like it, it. You will not find a lot of Hindu cultures in which they use vinegar in everyday cooking, right? Of course, you use it if you're making like something which requires like Italian food or Chinese food, but you will not use it like if you don't have tamarind in stock, for example. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Adish, you sounded almost wistful uh, when you ended this particular blog post and. you say that you wish there would have been at least a little bit on how to use vinegar would you want to elaborate on what amba was speaking about right now yeah so as as we said this episode focuses a lot on mexican food and the souring agent that it talks about a lot is a slightly sourish honey and it's also orange juice so as i said it's huge fun but for the purposes of learning how to cook i wish it had given some insight on how to use vinegar so what were the insights that you were looking for well how to balance which is something i've traditionally been bad at and been yelled at for but <laughs> but along with this uh, again to digress and to share a story from about 3 or 4 years ago i mm-hmm. once went for korean food and in the free starters that came along there were sliced brinjal aubergine slices which came in vinegar they tasted fantastic and this ties up with what ambab says about vinegar not being a common ingredient in india traditionally which is slicing bengan very thin and dunking it in vinegar is obvious when you come to it but nobody seems to have thought of it in india so no, we have uh, to use a marathi phrase we have the vangache kap uh, in maharashtra we have begun bhaja in bengal but it's all deep fried fritters then there isn't much pickling or brinjal going on yeah whereas uh, I don't know if this is only a Haryana and Delhi thing. You do get garlic cloves dunked in or under vinegar, and you get whole jars of that. Mm-hmm. But that's as far as it's ever gone. It's also interesting that the I think this is the Hindi word, but correct me if I'm wrong. For vinegar is sirka. I don't know if it's Urdu or uh, Hindi. But I've always wondered about whether the sirka in uh, the Indian language really comes from sour, whether the etymology is the same. 
something to look up and put in the show notes. Absolutely. But you know, bangan or like you know eggplant, we cannot yes. like you know the thing is that to bring that to fat because like there's something about eggplant and fat, right? Which is like it is like it is incredible. Like when you're when you're if you've tried to fry like shallow fry slices of bangan, right? They just absorb oil like anything. Uh, yes. But it is magic, right? I mean the way. Like if you're, especially olive oil, like you know, they they just sort of soak that in, and then it is like it's it's delicious when it gets like nice and soft, and you know, and it's got all that oil coated on it. Oh man, that's fantastic! Fried bengan, it's really hard. So my favorite kind of bengan, I think, is the um, is the bharata that we make at home, which is you roast the bengan, uh, you know, and you 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 sort of smash it up, and then you you mix it with with uh coconut of course grated coconut uh onion and some tamarind um and and salt and whatever flavorings and and that's it like you don't cook it again which is what happens in a lot of other places with bengan bharata but my second favorite is any form of fried bengan like that is like this magic uh, something about bengan and oil that is like amazing I have chosen today of all days to fast until I have dinner, and right now I'm really regretting my choice. Oh! <laughs> all right, uh, Adish, let's go back to the uh, write-up that you had about the uh, episode, and you spoke about uh, something that I myself found very interesting when I watched the series: the lemony honey that the melipona bees are apparently responsible for producing. You mentioned that you would read more about this. Did you end up reading more about it? unfortunately not that was one of the since this is something which i did close to the new year this is one of those new year resolutions that never got done <laughs> but to briefly summarize most yep. most of the honey bees in the world are native to asia or europe the plantations in north america and south america of old world crops require require beekeepers to bring european or asian honey bees over to uh, the over to north america along with the crop itself mostly bees are not native or pollinating bees are not native to north america and south america these bees were mentioned as one of the few species of american bees which produce honey I just had uh, one question that I've been dying to ask uh, both of you, which is salad dressings are essentially a combination of the two topics that we've been speaking about today, right? It a salad, good salad dressing essentially is just quite literally fat and acid vigorously mixed together. Yeah, emulsified. Emulsified, that's right. Which is uh, something that I correct me if I'm wrong, but Indian cuisine seems to not be very big on. would that be a correct no. characterization no so i think that there is some like you you do have some instances of like emulsification that you do in 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 cuisine like maybe i, I can't think of something which is on the dressing front but i mean like there are i mean let's face it indian cuisine is like it's it's <laughs> it's like it's so wide but um if you're making an avial for example you know where you make the coconut paste 
you also add a little bit of oil to that, you know, to like it's it's always topped with a bit of coconut oil, and you need to get that into it. Like it's not supposed to be floating separate. So it's not so much with 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 acidic ingredients. There are elements of emulsification that we use, but perhaps not so much in uh, thing. But but like Adish was saying, like you know, the pickles. Um, when we make pickles, we do use salt, fat, acid, and heat, actually, um, which all <laughs> comes together. Uh, and they're all really important because the, the, the fat is what kind of keeps it, you know, that it doesn't get spoiled. You need to add oil to your pickles. You know, it needs to all be together. Um, I'm not sure if that really amounts to emulsification, but uh, you can't have any of these elements separate, right? They need to be, they need to be really well combined. So perhaps that's one way of looking at it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was thinking more about salad. So when you think about kachumbars, koshimbi, raita, whatever you want to call it, we don't tend to use that much of fats in our salads, which I just realized when I was thinking about this episode is something that we seem to do a little bit differently over here in India. Well, sometimes we do, like in, in a lot of salads, they do do this tadka, right? Like m- many communities have done, like, you know, you you have like either moong or cucumber or whatever but there's always like this little oil and some mustard seeds you might have like a lemon or something to sour it up later on but there's no emulsification of that but you do have both these elements in our part of salad true true all right as far as i am concerned i think i have asked all the questions that i was trying to ask both of you adish or amba if you have anything that you would want to speak about in this episode shoot To circle back to something we were talking about earlier and the different tastes of fat, I see a parallel to gin. Gin? Yeah, because gin is essentially distilled alcohol. Right. But it gets a whole bunch of flavors from the botanicals. And there is a gin renaissance which unfortunately has not hit India yet but where you get lots of small lots of gin using very different ingredients and you can if you are going to a bar which has 20 or 30 different gins in stock you could depending on your own personal alcohol tolerance do shots of different flavors all night and <laughs> I, and si- since Amba had been talking earlier about the flavorless safola and rice bran, etc., etc., we have the opportunity to make oils and fats out of lots of different plants or meats. Each will have their own unique taste, and you could really spend your whole life trying all of them out as different toppings. And. Um. I would very happily, happily live a life where I got to try different fats every day for the rest of my life. But uh, again, the, the the thing is, many of these require on ingredients which are so rare or so expensive that you end up having very nice smelling oils which end up being used only for massages. <laughs> Also, uh, before I forget, uh, Adish, I don't know if you've tried these already, but when you spoke about the Jin Renaissance uh, from India, if you haven't tried, then I would heavily recommend both Stranger and Sons and a Jin called Hapusa. I'll Jin? make a note of it. Stranger and Sons is amazing. I second Stranger that. And, 
yeah it's really good and i suppose we've uh, talked about having lots of different flavors of oils in the context of fats but a lot of the snobbery over vinegar and i'm calling it snobbery because my palate doesn't extend to seeing the differences myself but if you have people arguing over apple cider vinegar and uh, rice wine vinegar and white wine vinegar and red wine vinegar <laughs> pe- pe- people clearly are seeing slight differences in taste in vinegars as well yep absolutely the one thing that uh, i can't stand too much of uh, is balsamic vinegar and why is that so in strong doses i love the taste of balsamic vinegar but i find it very easy to overpower whatever it is that i'm cooking with balsamic vinegar because it's such a strong flavor at least for me personally it's very easy to overdo it basically but um, which is strange because my usual worry about cooking versus using it as a topping or a drizzle is that in cooking it's the vinegar or the oil flavor which gets drowned out by everything else rather than vice versa <laughs> well one's a lot can i, I, can I say something yeah, of course of course please no no so so there's so on balsamic uh, nigella lawson has in in her book uh, domestic how to be a domestic goddess she has this amazing recipe for strawberry jam uh which is not in season anymore but especially in bombay when you can get it uh like hajar of, of it like you know um on uh, at other markets and stuff you know it's a really good time to make it but in her recipe she calls for using like uh, you know a couple of tablespoons of balsamic vinegar and it makes a huge difference it's amazing i had a bottle of balsamic just for that when i lived in bombay it's crazy good you know i don't know who came up with that I love how much of cooking hacks are like you know it's it's suddenly like who thought about putting balsamic vinegar in strawberry jam and it's like maybe somebody did it by accident you know and was like oh it's good but it definitely definitely recommend if if you're trying to do anything with strawberries a little bit of stra- balsamic is like oh my god amazing excellent I can't wait for the strawberry season to come around once again how is balsamic vinegar made again. I have no idea. I think fairies come and make it or something. It's amazing. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> All right. In pleasant anticipation of balsamic vinegar infused strawberry jam, I don't think there can be a better note to end this particular episode on. Right. Amrita, Adish, thank, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Hi. 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 You've been listening to That Reminds Me, episode 1J. Today's conversation was between Ashish Kulkarni, Amba Salilkar, and Adish Khanna. Ashish's blog is econforeverybody.com, and Adish's blog is adish.net. That's a a d i s h t dot n e t. That Reminds Me is a podcast produced by Ashish Kulkarni and Adish Khanna. You can find all episodes of this podcast at thatreminds.me where you can leave your comments. You can also email us. Our address is feedback at thatreminds.me. The podcast is supported in part by a grant from Emergent Ventures. 
The show music is The Carnival of the Animals, performed by the Seattle Youth Symphony, courtesy Ms. Open at nusopen.org.